Heavenly Father, we pray that you would encourage us in this time. We pray that we would hear from you this evening, that your word would come alive to us, and that we would be changed by what your word has to say to our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. One of the biggest focuses of our world today is the topic of satisfaction, and more precisely, how to achieve it. Now, it isn't difficult for me to think back to the last time I was satisfied. It was whilst we were staying in Christmas, um, just over this last period now with my in-laws in Austria. We were really enjoying a long, nice Christmas holiday. And it was around lunchtime. I, I guess you can tell where this is going. So it's around lunchtime. I come downstairs, and I walk into the kitchen, and then I smell it. I smell the rabbit as it's in the oven. Sorry for the vegetarians. Um, and I smell all the trimmings and the gravy being cooked and my mouth starts to water. I suddenly become so hungry, and all I want to do is eat everything that's there. So that's what we do. We sit down as a family, and we eat our meal, and then we eat, and we eat, and obviously, my mother-in-law being the loving lady she is, she forces me, forces me to have a second portion, and then I eat some more. And then at that moment, when I put down my knife and fork, as I sit back on my chair and I rub my very full belly, It is at that moment that I'm satisfied. But the strange thing was that after about four, five hours, I was already getting hungry again. I was already feeling peckish because the satisfaction that I felt from that meal was fleeting. It was here, then it was gone. The meal no longer made me feel full. We all know to some extent what it feels like to be satisfied. It might have been in that holiday we had last year in a sunny destination. Or it might be the good grade that we've just received from an exam we had before the Christmas break. Or it might have been in that family reunion that just went exactly as we'd wanted it to. So we all know to some extent what it means to be satisfied. But the problem is that that feeling of satisfaction always disappears. It always goes away. It might take one day, a week, or a month, but it will always disappear. And then we start to think of the next thing that can bring us satisfaction. We start thinking of that next holiday, or that next upgrade on my phone, or if I just get that new car, that new house, then, definitely then, I will be satisfied. I can stop looking. Now, none of these are bad things to to have or to desire, but the problem is when we try to find our satisfaction in them. Because these things are ultimately going to disappoint us and they will always leave us wanting that feeling of satisfaction again. The psalm that we're going to look at this evening, I think, asks the question, are you truly satisfied? So let's read Psalm 63 together. You'll find um, that on page 479. And it will be helpful if you keep the psalm open as we read So Psalm chapter 63 on page 479. A psalm of David when he was in the wilderness of Judah. O God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. So I have looked upon your sanctuary, beholding your power and glory because your steadfast love It's better than life. My lips will praise you. So I will bless you as long as I live. In your name I will lift up my hands. 
My soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food, and my mouth will praise you with joyful lips when I remember you upon my bed and meditate on you in the watches of the night. For you have been my help, and in the shadow of your wings I will sing for joy. My soul clings to you. Your right hand upholds me. But those who seek to destroy my life shall go down into the depths of the earth. They shall be given over to the power of the sword. They shall be a portion for jackals. But the king shall rejoice in God. All who swear by him shall exult, for the mouths of liars will be stopped. So there are some things that we should know about this psalm before we look at it in more detail. And the first is spelled therefore as in the heading. This is a psalm of David as he was in the wilderness of Judah. Now this is really important to the whole of the psalm because David wasn't in the wilderness admiring the scenery. David was in the wilderness fleeing for his life. And if that wasn't bad enough, the person who was trying to kill him was his own son Absalom. David would have felt alone, devastated that his own son, his own flesh and blood was trying to kill him just to get his father's palace and kingdom. So David retreats to the wilderness to flee death and to save his people and the kingdom of Jerusalem from being destroyed. So we know that David is in a physical wilderness, but when we read this psalm, we can see maybe that he's in some kind of spiritual wilderness, He seems to feel at sea with God, which is why he thirsts for God. Now, none of us here are King David, but we have all experienced some form of spiritual wilderness. Those times where something terrible has happened, and maybe we feel a little bit betrayed by God. Or we feel like a situation is just too hard, and we feel like God's left us to ourselves. Or those times where it's just so hard and we feel like our life is slipping through our fingers. Those times when we get on our knees and we cry out with tears and beg God to help us, but it seems as though he is silent. When every word in prayer seems like it's being forced through closed lips and we're just weary. These are just some types of spiritual wilderness that we can all identify with and probably most of us have been through. Now it is true that we are not David, but we have the same God that David speaks to and prays to in this psalm. So let's look at this psalm in more detail and see how David deals with his situation. And let's see how this psalm can help us answer the question of whether or not we are truly satisfied. The first thing we read in this psalm, and our first point for this evening, as you'll see on the order of service, is David's thirst for God, verses 1 to 2. As David sits in the wilderness, as he ponders how he got into this mess, how this situation happened, as he feels the pull on his heart that his own child is trying to kill him, he turns to God. But he doesn't say what we would expect him to say, or what we would expect anybody to say in this kind of situation. He doesn't ask God to help him through his situation. He doesn't ask God to take it away or to give him strength to endure or to just take it all away and resolve it immediately. Instead, he prays out of a deep affection and a deep devotion to God. Look again at verse 1. O God, you are my God. 
Earnestly I seek you, my soul thirsts for you, my flesh faints for you as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. David is praying to his God, the God who he knows so well and so intimately, the God who has been with him through thick and through thin, the God who has chosen him to be king, the God who he loved and whom he knew loved him. David says that he seeks and he thirsts for God. The language that David uses shows that he isn't just speaking to God because he wants out of his situation. He isn't just speaking to God because he wants his problem solved. But it shows that he, is, he understands he is communicating with the God who is the source of his life. David understands that he is communicating with his creator, the only person who knows everything about him. He doesn't just want a quick prayer. He doesn't just want to pray to have the box ticked for that day, but he says that his soul thirsts and his body faints for God. David wants to know God with his whole being. The language that he uses shows his deep desire and the urgency with which he wants to know God. He wants to know God like a person craves water as they wander in the desert or in the wilderness. A quick Google search will show you that there are countless stories of people who've been lost in the desert in the past or in the wilderness. And one thing they all have in common is that they describe the horrible feeling as they thirst for water. One man, Ed Rosenthal, as he was retelling his story, explains, and I quote, how the sun beat down, drying out my nose and my mouth until they felt like rubber. He said how his lips were cracked and how every inch of his body cried out for water, but none was to be found. With every waking moment, he looked for that drop that would keep him alive, and with every sleeping moment, when he managed to get it, he dreamt of that water. He did everything he could to find it, to find help, but all to no avail because his body was failing him. He explained that with every single step, He lost energy and strength until he couldn't go on. That is how David prays to God. And that is, and he says that with that same urgency, he thirsts for God. And as David expressed his deep and earnest desire to know God more, he remembers the time in the past that he has seen God moving. He thinks back to the tabernacle, which was kept among God's people of Israel, of whom David was king. I'm sure David would have thought back to how God had previously helped his people as they wandered in the wilderness through the Exodus and their wandering for 40 years. David would remember of all the stories of the miracles that God did to sustain his people in those 40 years and how he had cared for them thereafter. He would remember how God guided them, made his presence known to them through the tabernacle, as David remembered all of those events recorded in history which demonstrate God's glory and God's power, as he remembered how God had saved him personally from troubles and trials and how God had chosen him to be king and how God had been with him his whole life. All of these memories of how God cared and loved his people, they just make David want God more. They make David thirst for God and earnestly seek God even in this bleak situation. 
When we are in a spiritual wilderness and we feel like our prayer life has all but dried up, when we feel lonely and in a difficult situation, do we earnestly seek and thirst for God? Or do we give up? Do we stop praying because we believe that God isn't really listening anyway? Do we make excuses and say that life is just too busy right now for us to focus on God? We'll do it in the future when there's a little bit more time. Because really, we know that there isn't ever going to be. See, our first reaction in times of spiritual wilderness should be, as David is our example here, to turn to God. To thirst for God, to begin to read his word and pray to him, even when we don't feel like it. Even when every word we read might be a struggle. Because whether we believe it or not, the fact of the matter is that God is always there with us. This is a good way to start the year, to go into this new year with a new thirst for God, with a new desire to seek him and to know him more. We have everything we need to know God in our hands. We can read in the Bible of all the amazing things that God has done and how he has saved us through Jesus Christ, how he has forgiven our sins, how he has chosen us to be his people and how God continues to sustain us every day. Remember all of these things and be thankful to God and thirst for him, even when it's tough. When we truly thirst for God, when we truly seek God, we will be satisfied in God. And that is how the psalm continues. We read of David's satisfaction in God in verses 3 to 8. Now we noted how David didn't ask God to lift him out of his situation but instead he is seeking God first in his situation. He is yearning for God's presence where he is. Now, there are other psalms where David does ask God to intervene. There are other psalms that he asks for God's help. But in this particular case, David wants to be satisfied with God in his circumstance. And not only that, but we see that David is vowing to praise God Look at some of the language that he uses in the passage. Because of your steadfast love, my lips will praise you. I will bless you as long as I live. In your name, I will lift up my hands. I will praise you with joyful lips. In the shadow of your wings, I will sing for joy. David wants to praise God in the good times and in the bad. And so he reminds himself of some of God's characteristics and attributes. He says that he will praise God for as long as he lives. David knows who it is that he is praying to. He is praying to the God of the universe. He's praying to the God who planned and created all things from the smallest of atoms to the biggest mountains on earth. From the smallest animals that scurry along the forest floor to the planets that are suspended in space. David knows that he is speaking to the God who sustains all of that. The God who created all of that. The God who holds all things together. The God who is all-powerful and whose majesty we could never describe, no matter how many words we used. This is the God that David vows to praise, and this is the same God that we have the privilege to know and be in relationship with. David isn't just praising God when things are going well, which is quite an easy thing for us to do. 
He isn't praising God only when he's on his throne in Jerusalem. But even now in the wilderness, fleeing for his life, he is praising and blessing God for his steadfast love. This is an important lesson for us to learn, I think, because it's easy for us to praise God in the good seasons of our lives when everything is going well. But when we hit trouble or a tough period, quite often God, if we're honest, is the first person to be dropped out of the picture. Now, this doesn't make it easy, but I think we can learn from David because even now in his bleak situation, he realizes that God is above it all. God is ruling. David understands that his circumstance does not dictate who God is or how much God loves him. But David knows that God is the same whether his life is going amazingly well or whether his life seems to be falling apart. And David knows that God's love will never end and his praise for God will never end. But David's relationship with God is deeper than that. His relationship with God goes beyond his knowledge of God's love because it says that he will be satisfied in God. Now, David could have tried to find satisfaction in his palace, in his wealth, in his family, in his role as king. But instead, being the wise king that he was, and after having stumbled along the way, he realizes that satisfaction in possessions is fleeting. It's here today and is gone tomorrow. He knows that true satisfaction can only be found in God. So how can we find true satisfaction? How can we find this satisfaction that David explains here in this psalm? Well, we read in verses 5 to 7. My soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food, and my mouth will praise you with joyful lips when I remember you upon my bed and meditate on you in the watches of the night. For you have been my help, and in the shadow of your wings... I will sing for joy. David finds satisfaction in God when he meditates on God day and night. We become satisfied in God when we come to know him more. What is the best way to get to know somebody? Well, the best way is to sit and chat with them, to listen to them, to spend time with them, to invest in your relationship with them. And it is the same with God. We can know God and be satisfied in him because of what he has done for us. Jesus bridged the gap between us and God, and because of Jesus, uh, we have the written word of God in the Bible. We can pick up our Bibles and read God's word. We can listen to God, and we can know him more. The watches of the night that David refers to in verse 6 are referring to the very early hours in the morning. You know those times when you're so stressed about a situation, maybe it's at work or with family, and in your stress you wake yourself up and you sit there and you can't get back to sleep because you're thinking of a thousand outcomes that will probably never happen. Now, this has happened to me many, many times over the year. I'm I'm a little bit of a worrier. But the last time that this happened, I can remember it very, very clearly. It was on December 8th of last year the night before my very first Greek exam at ETS. I was petrified. I'd studied weeks and weeks, and I'd looked over all the class notes, but I just didn't know how it was going to turn out. 
As I sat there in bed, staring at the ceiling, I could just imagine that F flying across. Or I could just picture the scene of me sitting on that desk with the exam paper in front of me, drawing a blank. Nothing. So instead of sitting there, I thought I should get up and study. And that's what I did. I got up all night, and I, I got up and I studied all night, looked over my notes. And it is at these moments that David says he meditates on the Lord. How easy would it be in those kinds of situations for us to pray to God, to take a psalm or a passage of scripture and contemplate and pray over it? Because quite often worrying about the situation is pointless because we can't control the outcome. Now I know my time on December the 8th would have been spent a lot better in prayer because the next morning I couldn't remember a word from those notes that I looked at. So David was in the wilderness fearing for his life. It looked as if everything was lost until he meditated on God, until he remembered God's word and how God had helped him in the past. We see that in verse 7. And as he remembers God's word, as he remembers how God had been with him, he sat and he thirsted for God even more, and then he was satisfied. He wasn't satisfied in his situation. He still wanted out of his difficulty. But he found his satisfaction in God and in his personal covenant relationship with him. And when he was truly satisfied when he truly knew that God was the only thing that really mattered in his life, he gave a declaration of faith that we see in verse 8. My soul clings to you. Your right hand upholds me. David's language shows his amazing dependence on God. In a way, he's saying, I don't need to know the outcome right now. I don't need to see every single detail because I know that you are my God and you are there. You are looking out for me. You are protecting me. God, he knows that God is upholding him with his right hand. Now we can try to find satisfaction in all sorts of things. We can try to find it in wealth, houses, family, relationships, in that dream holiday over the summer. We can try to find it in our jobs or in our status. But there will be a day when we will all stand before God and we won't be able to take any of our possessions or any of our things here on earth with us and will we be able to stand before God and say that our souls were truly satisfied in him? We can only find true satisfaction in God because he is our creator. We were made to glorify him but in our rebellion we make ourselves out to be the king. Our goals change from glorifying God to glorifying ourselves and we fall into sin. But it is better to find true satisfaction. It is better to be truly satisfied for an eternity as our souls cling to God, as his right hand upholds us. That is far, far better than trying to find a fleeting moment of false satisfaction in this world. Because that's the only kind of thing this world can offer us, false satisfaction. And the truth of the matter is, if we are not satisfied, and we are not thirsting to be satisfied in God, then it must be that we are not confident in God. 
And let's spend the remainder of our time looking at David's confidence in God. Let's read verses 9 to 11 together. But those who seek to destroy my life shall go down into the depths of the earth. They shall be given over to the power of the sword. They shall be a portion for jackals. But the king shall rejoice in God. And all who swear by him shall exult, for the mouths of liars will be stopped. We need to keep the context in mind. David is confident that God will restore him to his God-given position as king over Israel. And that his enemies will fail. But I'm sure this would also have been heartbreaking for David because his enemy at this moment in time happens to be his son. However, David knows that all who plot against God will fail. And God will always prevail. And that is how he can be so confident in God. We see this time and time again through the pages of the Bible. People plot against God and his chosen people and they try to Um, destroy them, but it is always God who prevails. God always prevails. The Bible makes that point again and again. And so David has confidence that God will prevail, and all who swear by God will prevail, because the mouths of those who oppose God will be stopped. Sometimes this will happen on earth, like it did for David. But sometimes it will only happen when, God, when Jesus returns. Regardless of when it happens, regardless of when justice happens, we can be confident, like David, that God will bring justice. God will bring justice and all wrongs will be made right. In verse 11, David is rejoicing in God's character. Because God, in silencing David's enemies, he is being just. In the first eight verses of this psalm, we can see God's love. We can see, we can see God's faithfulness. And now the psalm and David change and they talk about God's justice. But as we have already said, we are not King David. And those who oppose God today are not Absalom. But there are parallels that can be drawn. Absalom pitched himself against David and against God. He decided that his way was best and that he would take what he wanted. It was Absalom's sin that cut him off from God and made him go against God. So in a way, anybody who is against God and anyone who sins is like Absalom because they are going against God. They are sinning and everybody does this. We are born with this as our nature. We instinctively want to go against God and sin. We want to live our own lives as we please. And like Absalom did, all those today who are against God and are sinful will fail. It might not seem like that in the world that we're in, full of injustice. But the Bible promises that those who oppose God will be stopped and that God's kingdom will prevail. The Bible also promises that all who turn to God, like David did, all of those who know Jesus, all who thirst for him and thirst to be satisfied in him, will not fail, but they will rejoice with God in an eternity. All who turn to Jesus and repent will find forgiveness. 
They will find the security and steadfast love of God that David speaks about in Psalm 63. So even though our circumstances are not the same as David and Absalom, our God is the same. God still loves his people. God's love is still steadfast. God still wants people to find true satisfaction in a relationship with him. So the question that we need to think about is, am I against God? But if you're a Christian, you can be confident, like David was, that God will prevail. And we see this ultimately, ultimately at the end of the Bible in Revelation chapter 21, where all sin has been dealt with, and God dwells with his people in the new heavens and the new earth where all creation has been restored to God, where there is no more crying, there is no more pain, and there is no more death. And the truth is, the truth of that forgiveness and restoration, that is the truth that Christians can be confident in. That is what makes us confident in God. As David wrote this psalm, I can imagine that he had Exodus 34 in mind. Because if you have a quick glance over that psalm again, you'll see that the whole of the psalm is about God's covenant love for his people. Let me just read two verses for us which describe God, and hopefully you'll see exactly what David was talking about. The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty. David is confident in God because of his covenant. God had promised to be faithful and loving to his people, slow to anger and abounding in love, but God also promised to be just. God promised that the guilty would not go unpunished, and it is God's covenant and God's covenant relationship with David and with his people that he finds confidence. David thirsted for God because he knew that God was his God and that God was faithful. David was satisfied in God because only in him can true satisfaction be found through a living covenant relationship with him. And David was confident because God is just and he promises not to clear the guilty. Let's go into this year with a renewed thirst for God with a new desire to be satisfied in God. Let's not leave God on the sidelines. Let's not make him out to be that person that we think of twice a year at Easter and at Christmas. But let's honestly and earnestly thirst and seek for God. And let's find that true and lasting satisfaction in him. Let's be confident in our all-powerful God because in him, in our eternal rest, In him, our eternal rest is a promised future. God is the only person who can truly satisfy our souls. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that through your word we have the opportunity to know you, to know our creator more. And as we begin this year, Father, we ask that you would help us thirst for you. That we would have a, new, a renewed desire to be satisfied in you and that we would be confident in you, the God of our salvation. 
We thank you for all you have done, and we ask that we would always be grateful. And we ask this in the name of your holy and precious Son, Jesus Christ. Amen.